Well, good evening, ABC College. Hope you guys are doing well yet again on a Wednesday, uh, wherever this finds you here as we approach the end of the summer. So glad that you're watching yet another week of CORE, this theology and doctrine study that we're doing this summer. And we are getting very close uh, to being done with this. It's almost August, uh, hard to believe that. Uh, but we're almost done with the summer, which means we're almost done with our CORE series. Uh, we've got two weeks, including this week, so we'll talk about the church tonight, and then we'll talk about uh, the end times uh, next week. But we're wrapping up this series uh, very quickly, and so that also means that we're going to be seeing many of you back in uh, Tuscaloosa very soon. So uh, we're excited about that. We'll be looking for some announcements and kind of updates on how things will go this fall. It'll obviously be a little bit different given uh, COVID and everything. Uh, but either way, we're looking forward to you being back, and we're going to make the most of this season. Even if it's a little bit weird and different, uh, the Lord is with us in this, and it's going to be a good fall. It really is. So uh, looking forward to having you guys back. But we'll go ahead and jump right into uh, this tonight. If you've been with us, you know we've been walking through uh, a lot of different topics of theology this summer. Most recently, we've, we've been talking about salvation, uh, what it means to be saved. Uh, last week, we talked about justification, sanctification, and glorification. And this week, we're going to talk about the church, where much of the stuff that we've been talking about this summer really plays out. I mean, you're watching a video tonight that's being put out by a church, right? Me as a pastor at Alberta Baptist Church. And so the church is really one of the primary vehicles of theology you know, and things like that. But tonight, we're going to talk about, you know, what is the church? Um, it's gotten a bad rap in many ways over the years, sometimes deserved. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about three aspects of, of the church. We're going to talk about what the church is. We're going to talk about uh, what the church does, what the church function is. And we're going to talk about our role in the church. That's our conversation tonight. What is the church? What does the church do? And what is our role in the church? And as we get going, I do want to let you know that here in my setup here, <laughs> Uh, this week, there's a cheerleader camp happening in the gym right down the hall for me. So if for some reason you just hear cheering happen randomly, it's because there's a bunch of cheerleaders in the gym. Um, and I'll try to edit out any noise, but you know, just a little bit of background <laughs> happening this week. Uh, anyway, but with that said, uh, let's talk about uh, that first thing. What is the church? Let me give you two uh, quick, helpful definitions. Wayne Grudem, a guy we've quoted a lot this summer, he has a very helpful, simple quote about what the church is. He says that the church is this. It's the community of all true believers for all time. It's the community of all true believers for all time. So it's all true believers in the sense that it's not just people that show up at a church service, but it's people that really have been born again in their hearts. And it's all also uh, all the believers for all time. So the true church, the, the big picture church, which we'll unpack a little bit in a second, is more than just even us Christians today. But that the true church is believers who have always, you know, believers from the past, believers now, obviously, and also believers in the future from all time. That's the true church. But, you know, even if you look at doing a word study of what church is, if you look at the New Testament and look at the Greek there, you'll actually find that the word for church used in the New Testament is a word called ekklesia. You may have heard that before, uh, but that word ekklesia is interesting because really that word even before the church as we know it came to be was used as a um, word to describe a gathering of people, but a gathering of people who had a very specific um, purpose for gathering. And that word literally means 
the called out ones. Ecclesia, the called out ones. And then the New Testament writers kind of adopted this word ecclesia to say that, yeah, the church, we are the called out ones. We've been called out of, you know, as Colossians would tell us, uh, out of sin, out of darkness, into God's marvelous light. We've been called out of death into life. And we've been called out into Christ and we gather together you know, as a body, not even just in a service, but we gather even uh, as a collective church in Christ. And we gather with the purpose of making disciples in the world to be the representative of Christ in the world. So as the church, we're the ecclesia, we're the called out ones. Those are two kind of definitions for you. But even there's, there's two other ways to think about the church. We also can think about the church as the universal church and also as the local church. There's the universal church, which would be more of Wayne Grudem's definition, which would be, you know, all of God's people, past, present, future, who have been called, you know, into Christ, into God's family, which means that every Christian, and this is an amazing thing, it means that we are part of the universal, global, cosmic, eternal thing that God is doing in the world. That when you show up to church on a Sunday morning or right now, when you watch a live stream um, of church on a Sunday morning, you're participating in a, in a timeless, eternal, cosmic thing. It may feel very small when you gather with your church sometimes, but it is anything but small. It's cosmic. It's an amazing thing. So that's the universal church, you know, even around the world, the global church. Christians all around. We get that, but also we have the local church. You know, we see local churches even beginning in the book of Acts, beginning to gather as a group of people at a specific time in the week for us on Sundays. And we're here today as Christians. You know, you're probably watching this video even because of the growth and expansion of that local church from uh, from the book of Acts to really everywhere in the world today that we're beneficiaries of that mission work that the early church did, even for us to get the gospel here in America in 2020. But here's a question. You may have asked this before, maybe you haven't, but you know, what makes a church a church? Like what are the defining characteristics of a church? Well, there's a great old uh, confession of faith that dates all the way back to the time of Martin Luther in the mid, uh, mid, well, 1500s, whatever that century, whatever that is. But um, in the 1500s, and they had this confession, it's called the Augsburg, Augsburg Confession. And they defined the church as this. They said the church is where the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. It's where, the, where the gospel is rightly taught and where the sacraments are rightly ministered. So, administered. so let's talk about that for a second because I think it's a really helpful definition of what the church is. So think about the, the gospel rightly taught. Well, obviously we are aware that there are many false gospels being taught today and when false gospels are being taught, we would not call that a actual church. We, if we want to be bold, we would call it a cult. And there are many of those that exist today. So when a church gathers, it's only a true church when the true gospel, the, the gospel we've been talking about all summer, when that gospel is proclaimed. And that even is where many of what we call the five solas came from when it comes to defining what the true gospel is. Martin Luther also gave us, and the reformers, also gave us the five solas to help us even, you know, kind of clarify what the right gospel is. The five solas, which sola just means alone, are this. It's scripture alone, faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, for God's glory alone. So what that really means is this, is that scripture alone is our highest authority for spiritual truth, that we're saved by faith alone, that faith has to be in Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone, not by works, 
and this is all done for God's glory alone. That kind of is a good clarifying statement and five parameters for what we mean when we say, is the gospel being rightly taught? Is, is the gospel being proclaimed in that church? Is it lining up with those five solas? So that's the first kind of thing. But even think about the second part of that definition where it says this, the sacraments rightly administered. Well, sacraments uh, have been called many different things throughout church history, but if you boil them down, what they kind of meant back then and what we would typically call sacraments today as Baptists are going to be baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, other denominations may add to the list of sacraments, but we as Baptists would say that there are just two actual sacraments, things that Christ has handed down to us as a church to continue, and that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. You know, baptism, as uh, Keith Pugh, who used to be one of the pastors here at ABC, he liked to say that baptism is the front door of the church. And I like that because baptism is when someone identifies themselves as part of the church. They identify themselves with Christ and they become part of the church. It represents visually what has happened to them in salvation, that they've been buried in Christ. They've been raised to walk you know, in new life. And when they go under the water, come back up the water, we kind of get the picture. That's what baptism is. And that's a very important thing in the church because it's not only us obeying what the Bible tells us to do to make disciples and to baptize them, but also it's us living out visually the gospel and making the gospel visual in a church. So that's the first sacrament. So baptism is a key component of what makes a church a church. But then secondly, there's the Lord's Supper or the table or communion, however you want to call it. Lots of different phrases for it. You know, but the Lord's Supper you know, is when the church remembers and proclaims the gospel both to themselves and also to those around them. And they commit to living out that gospel, to believing the gospel, not only as individuals, but as a community. And that's something that Jesus has given us to continue to practice, to continue to do this, Lord's Supper, in remembrance of Him until He comes again. So preaching the true and correct gospel and rightly administering the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, those are kind of what define a church. And that's really what you know churches in Orthodox faith, have really defined as a church for a long, long time. That's what we would say today still defines uh, what a church is. Um, it can have lots of different expressions even within those kind of bare bones things, but those are kind of the defining factors of what makes a church a church. So that then brings up, you know, what the church is not. Well, the church is not then ultimately just a, a group of Christians that meet together. You know, there are some great ministries that exists, like many of you are part of like campus ministries on campus, and those are fantastic things, but they're not a church because they very likely don't baptize or practice the Lord's Supper. So instead, you know, they're not churches, they're what we would call parachurch ministries. They're, they work alongside the church to reach people for Christ, to build up disciples um, on campus, but they're not uh, a church. And so you've heard this from me before if you've been in our college ministry, but we got to prioritize the local church and not simply a a ministry or a parachurch ministry. That also means that being part of the local church, actual church, is vitally important for Christians. Um, consider Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see in those verses how crucial it is that we draw near together, that we gather uh, together to encourage each other, um, to 
or to press each other, or not press, to compel each other to walk in holiness with Christ, that the gathering of the local church in the definition that we gave a second ago, that that's a really, really important thing. And to neglect gathering with other Christians in the church, really, it's sin. It's wrong. And not just for a, a guilt sense, but it's it's really, it goes against God's heart for how he wants us to live uh, as Christians. So we got to be careful that we're not prioritizing something that's not actually a church instead of going deep primarily in uh, the church. It doesn't mean those other ministries don't matter. They're great. They're great to be involved with, but we can't let those... Uh, make us neglect being gathered in a church. We also can't rely on church substitutes. You know, especially these days with the, the blessing of technology, we've got lots of great podcasts and YouTube and you know, online articles, all kinds of things that you can get great spiritual wisdom and teaching from. Those are awesome. I benefit from things like that all the time, but in the end, they're not a substitute for the local church. They're a, you know, addition in our discipleship to the church, but they're not a replacement because you may love David Platt's sermons or Tim Keller's books, but David Platt and Tim Keller, they're not your pastors, right? They don't know you. They don't know what's going on in your life and how to shepherd you well. But people like Colby, people like me, people like Jared at our church, we're pastors that, that want to know you and shepherd you well. So there's a difference. We can't let those online substitutes replace the importance of being gathered together with a local church. All right, so that's what the church is and the importance of um, being a part of it. But second thing, let's talk about what the church does. What is the, the mission of the church in the world? What has God given the church to do? Well, the church was God's idea, right? So it's, it's God uh, who gets to define it. And I think he would define it based on what we see in the Bible in three ways. The purpose of the church is first, discipleship, primarily. Secondly, it's worship. And third, it is mercy. All right, so discipleship, worship, and mercy. And let's talk about those for just a second. Just remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, you've heard it before, but it's great to read again. Jesus says, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That, that's the great commission, the commandment that Jesus gave his disciples at the end of his life on earth before he ascended to the Father. And that's really been the primary mission of the church ever since. That command to the 12 disciples still applies to us today, that we have that same instruction, you know, to go and make disciples of all nations, of all ethne, of all people groups in the world. And we do that by going to those people. We share the gospel with them. If they believe, we baptize them. And then we teach them how to follow Jesus. All of that is part of discipleship. And that's why, if you're a Christian, that you still even exist on the earth today. It's why, you know, when you became a Christian, God didn't just like Star Trek you back up to heaven, you know, but He's kept you on this earth, is that your life has a mission now, and it's to share the gospel with everyone you can and make disciples of everybody who believes in uh, that gospel. I've heard it said before that you know God didn't give the church a mission. He gave the mission a church. That the primary thing that defines what a church is and what it does is the mission we've been given to make disciples of all nations. So that's the primary thing that the church does. The second thing, though, is also the church exists for worship. Which really, if you think about it, worship is a natural byproduct, or at least it should be, of our discipleship. You know, as we make disciples... You know, people should be drawn to worship God 
And we're going to want to worship God even more as we see God do great things in our disciple making. And you may think, oh, worship, okay, that means that church and church exists also to sing. Well, yes, worship can be singing, but worship honestly is so much more than music and singing. Just consider Romans 12, 1, where Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, notice there that worship in that verse is defined as a lot more than songs, right? He's not talking about just singing there. He says that worship there is a living sacrifice. It's offering your whole life in response to God's mercy. And that ultimately, to worship is a lot more than singing. To worship is to display the glory and the worthiness of God in everything that we do. That everything in our lives in some way can be a form of worship. And we can worship privately in our lives. We can do that by doing really anything that points to God's glory. That, that could be through reading and obeying God's word, praying to him, just choosing to live for him every day. But even corporately as a church and not just as individuals, we can worship, yes, by singing. And that's a big deal. I love worshiping with the church. I love singing songs that give glory to Jesus together. It just gets me so pumped. But also we can worship in the church by teaching God's word, by responding rightly to God's word. We can worship by praying together. And we can worship as a church by responding to what God is doing. That everything we do on a Sunday morning can really be an act of worship. Even our giving financially can be an act of worship to God because worship ultimately is a response to who God is and what he's done for us. And so that's why another aspect of the the purpose of the church is worship. And we can even do that even when we leave a Sunday morning gathering. That Not only when we gather do we worship, but when we scatter, we worship as well. And also that the third purpose of the church, not only is it discipleship, worship, but also it's mercy, which we can define as uh, meeting the needs of other people. Just consider a couple of verses on this. Uh, James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, which means body of Christ. And then lastly, Acts 2, 44 and 45, it says, And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. So we see that part of the church's role in the world is to be generous, is to help meet the needs of people in the community. It's helped meet the needs of people uh, around the world. That's a big part of what we do, that we show the love of God through the way that we love other people, we serve them, and we meet their needs. And even as we meet a physical need, we ultimately have the chance to point them to their, their true spiritual need of the gospel. But I want to point you to one more verse that I think is, is helpful with this. It's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Here, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this to them, he says, you are, you being disciples of the church, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, a lot we could say about that, but I think those verses show us that the church in this, you know, this avenue, this area of mercy we're supposed to live out, the church is also called to work for the good of society because you know, salt is a preservative, right? It also brings flavor to something. So if we're the salt of the world, it means that we should be working for the good of society. We should be working to uphold justice. We should be working to promote righteous living according to God's word. We should be seeking to further the values um, of the kingdom of God in the world today. Now, it doesn't mean that we're trying to set up some kind of you know theocracy in the world where you know everybody has to live like a Christian even if they don't believe it. But I think we have a responsibility as Christians to want to seek um, God's values to be lived out in society, not by force, but really but by influence that people, like Jesus says, they see our good works and they want to give glory to God because they see the difference the gospel makes in our lives. And that gives us influence for good in the world, not by force, but by a positive influence of winning people over. A lot more we could say about that, but I just think it's important to remember there. Okay. Third thing for tonight, and we'll wrap up, is not only have we talked about what is the church, what does the church do, but now let's talk about you know our roles as individuals in the church. And to talk about this, I really want to use the three pictures of the church that the New Testament does, and they all happen to start with the letter B. And you know that as a Baptist pastor, right, I, I love alliteration. So the three pictures the New Testament uses for the church are a body, a building, and a bride. Okay, a body, a building, and a bride. Easy to remember. And let's just think about those for just a moment and how they show us what role we should play. Because that's what the New Testament does. It uses these pictures and then teaches the people, all right, because of this, this is how you should live in the church. So the first one is the church as a body. Just consider 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And that, that's in the bigger picture of Paul talking about the church as a body, but I think we get the idea there. And in that chapter, Paul goes on to say that, you know, in a human body, it'd be crazy for a foot to say or to consider, you know, you know what? I'm not going to be part of the body anymore. I'm going to be a foot on my own. It doesn't work that way, right? You know, or how crazy it'd be for an eye to say, you know, well, because for a foot or another part of the body to say, well, you know what? Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body or I'm not as important to the body. It's a weird analogy, but the case he's making is this, is that every part of the human body and also the church body is important and it serves a vital function. No matter how prominent it may be, no matter how insignificant it may seem, all parts of the body matter and they are uh, important. And I think for us, that picture of the church as a body means two things for us. It means first off that we need to be connected to the body. It also means that we need to be active in serving in the body. You know, consider that first one. You need to be connected. Obviously, any body part not connected to the body is useless. It's going to wither up and, and, and die because it has to be connected to the body to live. And in the same way, us as Christians, we need to be connected in the body. That We need real relationships in the church. We need to do a lot more than simply show up for a service or, or right now watch a live stream online. Those are good things, and we should be doing that, but that's just the beginning of what it means to be connected to the body. You know, we need relationships in the church, the kind of relationships where we can be honest about what's going on in our lives, what God is teaching us, maybe the ways that we're struggling, the way that God is challenging us. You know, we, we need relationships where we can be held accountable 
to fight sin and to love Christ. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great quote where he says that sin demands to have a man by himself. That Satan knows that if he can get us isolated and away from church community and by ourselves, he has done so much already in leading us more into sin because we're isolated. Sin loves having us by ourselves and out of relationship. But we need relationships. We can be honest. We can be real. We can be vulnerable with people about what's going on in our life. And we can be spurred on to good works, as Hebrews would uh, would tell us. We also need relationships in the church with different people from different stages of life, stages that are different from you. You know, you as a college student, you need relationships with older people who can provide wisdom and perspective in life. You need relationships with younger people where you can be a, a role model and be encouraged to be a role model. You know, as a college student, you need to be connected to families and to adults so that you can remember that there's more to life than just the college lifestyle. You can have that perspective that is so helpful during uh, the college years. So you need to be connected, but also you need to be serving in the body, using your abilities in the body. And because if we're all part of the body, then we need to be playing a role in the body. A, a part of your body that's not doing anything is useless, and you're probably going to have a surgeon take it out at some point because it's not doing anything but causing harm to your body. It's not contributing to it. The same thing in the church. And although we're not only just called to serve, there's also, honestly, tons of benefits to us even in serving. That when you serve in the body, you get to use your gifts and learn more about your gifts and grow in the way that God has wired you. You also get to meet a lot of different people and form some of those relationships and intergenerational connections with families and adults that you maybe wouldn't find uh, other ways. You also get to, see, to get to see God do amazing things at the church. And you get to see the amazing ways that God has crafted you and placed you in the church to be a blessing to other people. So if you don't do those things, if you're not using your gifts to serve in the body, not only are you missing out on tremendous opportunities to grow and to find this great joy in the church, but also you're depriving other people around you of the gift you have and the, and the unique way you've been wired to serve the church. So don't don't have people missing out on the blessing that you can be in the church, but get involved. You know, spend some time thinking through ways that you're you're gifted, ways that God has blessed you, things you're passionate about, and ways that you can serve um, in the church. If you ever, ever have a question about that, feel free to contact uh, me or someone else on staff. We'd love to get you involved uh, in serving in the church in different ways. But that's the first picture: is the church as a body. Second one is the church as a building. I just consider two verses on this. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Also consider 1 Peter 2.5. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we see here that the building that Paul and Peter are talking about isn't just any building, but it's actually the temple building. And that really means two things for us here. It means that we have a role to play in building up the church, it also means that we get to help further the church's mission as being, as Peter would say, a royal priesthood in the world. So consider those two things for a second. First, we have a role in building up this building of the church. 
That means that through the way that we treat each other in the church, the way that we use our gifts to serve in the church, that we play an active role in building up the church and making it healthy and making it stronger. And when we don't do those things, when we, when we neglect relationships in the church, when we don't use our gifts, that we're, whether we think about it this way or not, we're actively you know, harming the church. We're like tearing it down by making it less healthy because we're not contributing to it. So we have a big responsibility in this. And also, even when we financially support the church, we also help to build up the church. I know talking about giving and, and tithing is not a popular thing today because people think that you know the church is all about getting money from people. And you know, as a pastor, I'm all about the money, which I promise you I'm not. If, if I wanted to make a bunch of money, I wouldn't be a pastor, okay? Um, but I'm very thankful for where I am. But even as we financially give to the church, we're supporting the work of the church and we're building up the church. Because even our budget here at ABC, while, yeah, we got to pay the, the power bill. We got to pay our staff so we can like actually live and eat food and provide for our families. So much of our budget as a church goes to ministry all around the city, all around the world. And it really funds the things that we can do together that we could never do as individual Christians. But when we chip in our financial resources together, we can do some amazing things. So even giving financially of what you can is an amazing way to build up uh, the church. All right. And so the first thing we do is we play a role in building up the church. But secondly, we also help further the church's mission as a royal priesthood because the church is a group of people, like we talked about earlier, that have been called out of darkness and into the light of Christ. And we have the responsibility, responsibility as individuals and as a church to represent Christ wherever we go. Think about what a priest is. A, a priest is someone that stands between God and the people. And as the church, we have the chance to stand between the world that is destined for hell, and we have a chance to stand between them and God, and we're able to share this gospel. We're able to be a representative of Christ to them, asking them to be reconciled back to God, pointing to the ultimate high priest of Jesus who offered his life for us. And so we all play a role in this mission of being priests in the world. You know, we all have the role of making disciples by sharing the gospel just kind of throughout our days. But also we have the role of being able to go and make disciples of all, nation, of all nations ourselves by maybe going and serving on mission in different ways. We also have the chance to not only go ourselves, but also to support others as they go and to send them to go and share this good news, to be a, a priest of the gospel other places in the world. Not like a Catholic priest, but be like part of that royal priesthood. You know what I mean? And so that's such an important part of us being part of the building up of the church is by living out that priesthood as well. All right, so that's the second picture. So we've seen uh, the body, we've seen the building. Now let's talk about the bride. Uh, two verses for you here. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Revelation 19, 6-8 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So those verses make it clear that if you're a Christian, 
then if you're part of the church, then you are part of the bride of Christ, that you're a bride of Christ. And really, you're not a bride as an individual, but just collectively, you are part of the bride that is the church. And that really means two things here for us. Number one, it means that we need to protect the purity of the church. It also means that we get to represent Christ to the world. So consider that first one. We protect the purity of the church. Well, you know, in our time before marriage, you know, a bride or a potential bride wants to protect her purity so that she can give herself fully to her husband on the day that they're married. And in a similar way, the church has work to do to also protect the purity of the church, to protect even individually our own purity from sin in the time before Christ, our bridegroom, uh, comes to us. And we do this as individuals by guarding ourselves from sin and by walking in purity. And we do it as a church by fighting for purity in the whole church. And the way that we fight for purity in the whole church means that we can hold each other accountable to be fleeing from sin, that we can ask hard questions to other people in the church when it seems like they're falling into sin, in the right context, of course. And also seeks the week seems, means that we can uh, seek to reconcile relationships that may be you know, kind of fractured in the church. Those are all ways, and we could probably add a lot more, of ways that we fight for the purity, the, the holiness of, uh, of the church, because that matters a ton in the world when they look to the church and see what we represent. But not, not, do we, not only do we just uh, protect the purity of the church, but we also represent Christ to the world as being part of that bride. And we kind of already talked about this, but I think we can unpack it a little bit more. But think about it, like in, in some ways, my wife Haley represents me when she's out in the world. Not that I have any ownership over her. She's her own person, absolutely. But you know, when she goes out in the world, you know, she represents me and she represents our family when she interacts with other people. Same thing for me, I represent our family as well. But you know, if she were to develop a, a bad reputation, you know that that reputation in some way would probably come back to, to our family and even to me, and it would, it would affect our family as a whole. Now, Haley is an amazing wife and she has an awesome reputation, you know, but I think you see what, I, what I'm saying here is that, you know, as individuals, we get the chance, and this is an amazing thing, to represent Jesus to people around us every day in the way that we live. That's a tremendous opportunity, but it's also terrifying. You know, the way that we live communicates you know, things about us. So if people know that we're a Christian, then the way that we live is going to communicate to them who this Jesus is that we claim to believe in, what this gospel is we claim to believe in, and the church that we're even a part of. So we got to be careful that in the way we live, that we seek to live in a way that people can say, you know what, I know that person is a part of that church. They claim to be a Christian. And I really see, you know, the benefits of that in their life. And I really see that the change that it seems to be making in them and that they give a good reputation. They speak a good word about that church they're part of, and they speak a good word about this Jesus like they claim to follow. You know, they may not, you know, that person may say, I don't believe in that, but I at least can see the effect it's having in their lives. And who knows then what kind of impact that could have over the long run with God doing a big work in their heart. But the way that we live communicates a lot about what we say we believe, because this saying it is so short of, you know, really what it means to live out our faith in the world. It's, it's the way that we live every day, especially in the hard times, that really communicates the truth of what's in our hearts and what we believe, okay? So that's the big idea of how we function in the church. You know, the church is a body, so we serve. The church is a building, so we build it up. The church is a bride, so we want to represent uh, our bridegroom well. We want to protect the purity of our church, and so people can look into our lives and say, yeah, this Jesus they talk about 
he's doing something good in their lives, and maybe I want to be a part of that. Okay, so that's the big idea tonight of what the church is. I hope that was helpful for you. Um, And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to send a message to the number on the screen, and we would love to uh, respond and kind of maybe be more clear on a few things. Uh, But besides that, like I mentioned, next week will be our last week doing this study. Uh, We're going to talk about heaven and hell and uh, the end times, so it'll be some uh, great discussion. You probably have lots of questions. I, I can't promise to answer them all but I'll do my best to get um, some good core things in there. Wow, core. This is called core. I didn't mean to do that. But um, (laughs) but either way, uh, we'll get to that next week. So you you guys have a great week, and we will see you soon.